Welcome to the Retail Pulse podcast with your host, Suzanne Sears. Based in Toronto, Suzanne is an executive retail recruiting expert who owns three staffing companies. Since 2011, she and her team have successfully placed over 1,000 people into their next retail roles. Suzanne combines her business and retail expertise to provide retail staffing solutions that work. Tune in to the Retail Pulse podcast for Suzanne's discussions about retail staffing challenges and what's happening in the retail industry. Well, today we're here with the fabulous Lanita Layton, one of our favorite people to talk luxury about. Lanita is a former CEO of Hugo Boss, and all the other things she's doing lately are astounding. Why don't you tell us about some of them, Lanita? Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back, Suzanne, and speaking with you. I actually just got off the plane from Montreal, where uh, I am uh, involved with McGill with the Bensadoon School of Retail Management with the master's program there. And uh, as the class patron, as a matter of fact, so I was working this week along with them and working on some of the network programs going on and the presentations with the students, which was really inspiring. And uh, and that really, uh, it gives me a good sense and, and comfort of what's going to be happening as we go forward with the next generations. There's certainly no lack of interest in retail as a career in Canada, especially in luxury. But a lot of people don't really know um, what is luxury in Canada. What does that what what little space does that fall in? What's the difference between them and premium goods? You know, it's it's very interesting that you bring that up because there there is quite a difference is. uh, You know, we get them confused sometimes. There's a misconception that accessible luxury, for lack of a better word, or high premium is the same thing as true luxury. And it's really not. Uh, True luxury really is all about the brand before anything. The product comes afterwards. True luxury really needs to create an emotion. It makes you feel something as though you're part of something bigger. It's not as transactional. In fact, it's not transactional. The sale comes at the end. So it needs to really tell a great story a creative vision and a dream for the individual really more so. It can be an item or an experience, unlike unlike what we see with um, with accessible or with premium. Mm-hmm. And it really, ultimately, it's about the individual as well and, and what they per- perceive as luxury. And it needs to be, this is really key, it's not about a price. It's not about just bumping up the prices to get to luxury. And there are prices going up these days but it really needs to be about being priceless to the individual. (laughs) That's exactly it. These are items people hold on to for decades and they aren't worth any less 10 years later, are they? And in many ways, you're absolutely right. The only, and the only way really to do this is by creating what what we'd call really cultural capital through your brand story. The story is everything to begin with in luxury and that's where everything else will come from as far as product, et cetera. And how is that growing in Canada? And where would that growth come from? You know, post-COVID, we lost a lot of our tourists who enjoyed buying things in Canada. We lost a lot of our West Coast buyers. Where are the new customers today coming from? Well, the the West Coast is 
hopefully eventually going to start coming back. But right now in luxury, it is more difficult than elsewhere in Canada, no question about it, in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is partially due to the fact that uh, we've got a very large Asian population there. It's about 50% of the mix, for example, in Vancouver. With that, many of them have first, second, third homes elsewhere as well. So some are overseas and hoping to get back this way. Uh, and others, thankfully, are still here with us and shopping, but everyone's pulling back a little bit as we speak. What's interesting, though, is the younger generations and what's happening, and that's where we're really going to see the growth. So right now, 20% approximately of of the luxury customer base is Gen Z. And according to Rob Report, as a good example, the younger generations, the Y, the Z, I'll say Z, Canada, and <laughs> Alpha, will become the biggest luxury buyers. By 2030, they will represent 80% of the global purchases. That is wow. incredible, the difference. So these are the ones everyone really needs to try and understand. And these clients aren't looking so much for exclusivity or the status or the heritage even you were referring to, or prestige. They're really more about customization, quality and craftsmanship, absolutely important, Um, but they need to feel part of a dream as well. And it's for them more about their own individualistic take on it. It's not being part of a group that's buying this brand or that brand. It's about the customization that they can do with it. These things are all really important, as well as their dreams are also based on inclusivity, sustainability, circular economy, and being the younger generations that they are, they demand speed and whatever they choose. So technology is also key. It's a dramatic shift from previous generations, and brands need to really move quickly to adjust to these values. I, we we see that in retail hiring. Um, you know, some of the old school brands still feel that you can take months to hire someone because you're lucky to work for us. And what what I'm finding is that whether it's luxury or not, these people have so many options. Speed matters to them. So if I do an interview for a client on a Monday and submit it on a Tuesday, these people want to know, why haven't I heard anything by Friday? You know, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know. So you find yourself on the other end of this scale trying to push HR along then no, you know, you you really have to speed up the entire process. And that can be a challenge with luxury hiring, luxury goods delivery, um, this whole culture of instant that luxury up until now has not coped with. You'd sit and wait for your Vuitton for a year and a half, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's still such a uh, flies high. Oh, but, well- um, I'd, I'd say that the the desire for the Vuitton or the Hermes or whatever it may be, um, that's part of that desire is that acquisition, knowing you have to wait for that. But exactly to your point, everything else they do, um, you know, these generations are wired into devices at the same time, and they want to know that their order has gone through or that you're getting back right. to them just the same way as they're hoping HR gets back to them quickly. And particularly in luxury, as you well know, oh, yeah. the, the, you know, anybody who's really great 
it's a fierce battle out there for the talent, as as we all say. And they are uh, they're getting picked up very quickly out there. So you very, have to. Very do quickly. And I'm I'm seeing the same as is it's it's a slow process with many of the HR teams and it's it's you know i don't think it's the hr team i think it's levels upon everything being involved probably uh but it's they've got to look at it differently for today's world for these generations very much so and uh you know today's generation are used to walking into any situation as a team with a team effort and team training and team development and I think in the past, there was so much emphasis on individual sales and achievement, which go, kind of goes against the uh, whole idea of building your own clientele. Uh, luxury retailers either want you to have clientele or bring a clientele to them. I know that that's the biggest change I've seen in a lot of clients. Um, they really are focusing on, I want to hire somebody with a book of clients or, you know, who has clientele. And I think, yes, we used to hear that for the premium, premium, top, top brands, but never really in the um, in the next levels down. But it seems to be what everybody's demanding is bring me your customers. And of course, retail flips a lot, right? So you get a lot of turnover. Um, how far can you stretch the clientele building? But as you point out, um, with the the younger generations coming up to take over luxury, I can give you an example. If you if you're on Instagram, Mercedes does this remarkable Instagram promotion, and they show these cars basically cooking you a dinner. You know, I mean, no, I'm just teasing, but effectively these cars are lit up and customized, and they can change colors and skins, and it's just a whole show. Uh, in and of itself. And I thought, even if that really isn't available, whoever saw that at age 30 has got that in their mind that they want that individual experience to have their own individual marked, in this case, Mercedes. So you see Mercedes all marketing to a younger generation. And we all know the prices of them. So we kind of wonder, hmm, when will they buy one? But they'd rather buy that, buy one of those, than a hundred of anything else. And they aspire to that, you know. So I'm finding myself where one of the big challenges in luxury, too, is it's an industry that traditionally pays very well, right? And I think it still does pay very well, but there's a lot of resistance from um, some organizations to squeeze in a little bit more but i think they're probably going to have to because the options are too great um now <laughs> this is a good one what keeps you up at night if you're working with and for a luxury brand <laughs> uh so many things right now i mean there's there's positives that keep me up because I'm just looking at how do you take advantage of that and create an even bigger opportunity and tease that opportunity. And then there's the opportunities that are challenges on on how how do we avoid certain gaps? How do we avoid certain things? Uh, what's really important with luxury, again, is there there cannot be any compromises. You are all in in luxury. 
And when the economy becomes less stable, shall we say, some brands start to look for new avenues if they're maybe not as strong and clear on their vision and their leadership, etc. So they start bringing in diffusion brands or they start right. cutting service and this sort of thing. And that dissipates their brand and the client perception. And it even starts to tarnish the overall luxury group because of that, if you're not careful. So that's something I look at right now because of the economic uncertainty. Uh, you know, the top percentiles do not go away. The top deciles are what they are. Uh, but as we it's look that new stream, down, yeah. it's the new stream. And those that new stream is really, really important. Uh, I had the benefit last week of, of uh, seeing a, a dear friend and former colleague of mine, John Gearhart, who's the global creative director for Moy Hennessy, incredible brand director. And right. he, he was talking about this sort of thing as well. And he brought up a really good phrase around that is that the, you know, the top top deciles, they don't change. They're always affluent. They're doing incredibly well, but they're not the cool kids. They're not the cool kids. <laughs> the next decile downs are the cool kids. That's the cool ones. So the top affluent people want to feel like the cool ones and mm -hmm. the cool ones want are obviously aspiring to go up. And each luxury brand, that's one of the things that keeps us all up at night is how do you get those into one wonderful little group that you can appeal to both of them? So that's something that came up that was was really great. This is what I'm seeing on social media with these intensive ad stories. So I'm going to reference Mercedes again. I own one, so I'm a little bit biased. But regardless, um, the bottom line of it all is Every day you look for that ad because they've done something new. It's not just, oh, here's a great car, you know, get 75 miles to, you know, they don't do that. They turn it into a little adventure and every day there's another little adventure. Now, I'm probably not the client that's going to go out and buy the flashing light version. But if I'm the younger person, what else is as cool as that? Even now, inside my car, it lights up with all these colors. And I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, it scares me to death. But, you know, these types of modernizations and um, are what does appeal to these younger people. But it's not TV ads. They don't even watch TV anymore, I don't think. They, no, just, no. they just stream things and social media. But... That level of engagement astonishes me. It just astonishes me how many people are mesmerized by this little series of daily, look what our uh, look at this car can do type of thing. Now I don't know if you're a Gucci. If I mean, what do you say about your clothes, right? But definitely your handbags. One thing that I notice is everybody wants to be a part of luxury jewelry, and of course they found. John Lennon's Philippe Patek, they found it after it had been scoffed away. And of course, how much cooler do you get than that? And I thought, there's a whole <laughs> marketing program ready to go with good old John Lennon. So I that, that will resonate with younger generations too. There's one that crosses both lines, um, the boomers and the younger people who think his peace and love message is 
needed today. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you can take the brand down into the little copycat type of things. I don't think that plays well. I don't think it ages well at all. But, you know, as as long as luxury is continuing, like you, is continuing to evolve and grow and develop new ideas. But I think it's key that you're bringing new retailers into the system. And that's, it's very hard to get into the system. First of all, when you're young, you probably don't even have the wardrobe to go work in a luxury venue. And image is really part of part of the job, your personal image. And I think that gets underrated, you know, as to how much of an obstacle that is. Now, how else can young people plan a career? You're talking to them. What do they tell you? What do they tell you are the hard parts? Uh it's, it's interesting. One of the big questions that keeps coming up, certainly with some of the students I speak to and some of the people I mentee in the, in, mentor in the industry, my mentees, uh, is can I move from premium or mass into luxury? Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about that because I did. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, it's a matter, it's, it is difficult to go directly into luxury in oh. in sales or or corporate jobs in particular etc you need the training elsewhere uh, certainly there's some amazing programs now like the master's program at mcgill and exactly. many other programs in universities but it's uh, you need that experience in stores oh. as well the you need that operational background and there's nothing wrong with with starting in premium and aspiring if you so choose to be in luxury mm-hmm. You need to have a passion for luxury to do that. Uh, you need to be about the customer first. As I said, it's really premium tends to be a little bit more transactional and it's all about the metrics. Don't get me wrong. Luxury has metrics. That's, uh, that's not it's not as task driven. It is about customer first and everything you do. And that includes something else that keeps me up at night is is how do you get the mindset away from sales channels and make it customer focused first because your sales channels will do well from that. It's all about what the customer perceives and it's one brand, no matter what the channel. So it's, you know, you look at the challenge in luxury of online business and a lot of them don't make you feel special online. It's no. a disconnect <laughs> from the rest of the brand, right? So you go into the store, you've got this exquisite experience, and then you go online and it can fall flat. Some of them are starting to get it now, and, and that's great, but that is something that really needs to look be looked at in any of the companies is just keeping a seamless experience for your customer. And that goes back to your sales professionals, your client advisors as well. This is They've got to be well, thinking. Not right. fighting with wholesale, retail, online, or or my next other sales professional. It's about whatever's going to be the right thing for the customer. Well, there's no question a lot of these companies are sticking artificial intelligence in as their chat source. And nothing in this world is more frustrating <laughs> than AI. <laughs> that I didn't understand your question. Let me get you an agent. Well, that's what I wanted to begin with, right? So I think that any luxury, I just can't see how artificial intelligence at this level is 
is overly conducive to creating a great experience. But we do know, study after study after study, we could quote them, that says any brand that improves customer experience, even by small amounts, do better. Just simply have better results. The evidence is overwhelming. And yet, you have to sell the idea. It's, it boggles the mind. Why would you have to sell that idea? <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think luxury on the whole does a really good job. I mean, it's very rare where I've been in a luxury store and whatever person I encounter doesn't make an effort to give me their business card, add my business card, and send me a note later saying it was great to meet you. All of a sudden, now I have a link to that brand. And I don't know why more stores don't do that. I, I can't agree with you more. It's it's these simple little connections that make all the difference in the world. I mean, if it, if it's, even if it's something as simple as when you're working with your teams and, and succession planning and all of these pieces are so key. Mm-hmm. And these brands are, are getting it and understanding to the, you know, Hopefully, overall, that they got to work faster and they have to create a succession plan for these individuals coming in or they're going to move elsewhere. Uh, But how do you keep them inspired the same way you're trying to inspire your customer? I mean, one of the things I learned many years ago from CEO that I had, Holt Renfrew, who's still one of my mentors to this day, was we would literally walk in after doing a style out or presentation, and he would have handwritten cards for each one of the team, congratulating them on the job they did. I started doing the same thing with our million-dollar sellers as they started to get close to the mark, and I literally had few months ago, somebody sent a little note to me on LinkedIn saying, I still have the card you gave oh, me. Oh, it's not something, eh? <laughs> so it says, again, it's it's no different customer recognition, employee recognition. They're all part and parcel, but the luxury client is really, really demanding for all the right reasons, but not demanding about you know price or anything. It's about, I want to see that you're going to give me a dream. You're going to share a dream with me. I'm going to be part of that dream. Right. And, and how, you know, how can I acquire this dream after that? They aspire to it. Well, I think too, one of the things retail is guilty of is slot filling. Oh, we're down a man in whatever category. Let's mm-hmm. hire one person. It's not the way to do it. The way to do it and create luxury is to hire a few like maybe six, a cohort of people, train them all simultaneously, make them partners and see who rises to the top. Everyone has value, but this slot by slot hiring is the single most useless, expensive way to do hiring, especially for luxury, because that client wants to come in and see that same person who was there last time. They want continuity. Absolutely. They are they are brand loyal and they are relationship builders. It's all about right. that relationship to your point. Mm-hmm. And and Suzanne, I, I you know, again, you've you've hit the nail on the head with this one. Is it it really frustrates me endlessly when I hear, okay, to your point, somebody's got a book and you're mm-hmm. saying, I know someone who's got a $1 million, $2 million, $3, $3 million book who could be great for the company. 
And if somebody goes, well, we don't have the budget for them right now. Ah. <laughs> and what opportunities are you missing? Because mm -hmm. you're guaranteeing yourself at least half a million dollars in sale to begin with. And you're going to keep building on it from there. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it drives me crazy, too, because, you know, wages are one of those controllable budget items on the bottom line of everybody's financial sheet. Oh, we're not performing that well. Well, let's scrap 20 people. We'll look better on the bottom line. And, and instead, the focus has to be, these are the people who generate the money that all the rest of the system relies upon. And the cost of the cost of a vacancy is massive. It's about four times the salary per month. So if you had someone, let's say, Let's say you're paying them ten thousand a month. Let's just be very generous. <laughs> ten thousand a month. You're losing forty thousand a month simply by them not being there. Period. If not more. And if you look at most chain stores who are off in their hiring by about twenty percent. So if they have a hundred people, twenty slots are probably not filled. And you take that forty thousand, they're losing about a million dollars a month in these vacancies, but yet when it, it's HR that creates the budget for these people and presents it and gets it approved. I learned a long time ago that if HR didn't spend the budget that they got, they'd be bonused on it. And I thought, well, that would encourage them not to hire, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, one would think. So I went, hmm, this is kind of backwards. The idea is, you know, create a budget that also has training, learning, cultural development, and you have your little plan in place so that by the time Joe leaves, you've already got in stream a certain number of people and, and you've rotated them. Maybe you sent them to Harrods in England for a week to work or two weeks to work, but you can't grow a luxury team based upon slot by slot by slot. And oh, sorry, there's no budget, you know? It's it's uh, you can't grow your clientele either. Uh, agree. And and those people that could be coming with that book, you know, they are the book. These customers, they are That's people right. attached to that. And these people could be walking through your door and perhaps are not already. And and the other thing is, is this misconception about the idea that, well, the percentage of sales for your team. Oh, the cost of sales, cost of sales, the percentage for that. There's a misconception in some companies that, well, I'm not near where I need to be. I'm at 20%, 18 whatever it is. And instead, what do they do? They cut people instead of coaching and right. training and building the right people or bringing in the additional people, to your point, that could make the difference and reduce the percentage to sales. Oh, it's just, you know. It drives me crazy. I mean, the minimum wage is going to go up October 1st. It's going to be a whopping 16, 65, uh, something like that. But, um, you know, the average wage in Toronto is only 38000 a year. And luxury is a great career that can get you out of that hole of never advancing. But luxury has to open up its doors and appreciate that the people who want to work there are probably not going to wear, a, you know, a Prada to the interview, but they've got to be able to groom and grow uh, teams of people. Young people prosper in teams. And once you hire a team of people, 
Then you have your one-year training outline with set objectives and targets, and Mm -hmm. you as a company, you commit to them. Oh, but what if they don't work out? Well, what if they do? You know, (laughs) maybe they might. You know, I mean, people are looking for uh, it. It it appalls me that luxury is so short of staff, and they all are. Um, And I'm going to say, I think it's their own fault. I think they're using antiquated methods of uh, assessing people especially being overly reliant on the resume, on what they see on the paper. Uh, They reject the paper before they've even had a chance to speak to the person. Oh, great. I understand if you were a tow truck operator, that maybe is a stretch. But a lot of these people who are applying, as you say, are coming from premium or even one step down who aspire. If they want to be in your industry, why on earth would you say, no, I won't even talk to you? I agree. And it's it's not a matter of when we talk about image, you're looking for somebody who's got style. You know, they could be wearing a brand that doesn't mean anything as far as designer, but it's about having a certain style, a certain flair. And yeah. and you know, proper grooming, yes, absolutely. But what does that mean today? It's not about having a specific hairstyle or a specific look where, you know, again, luxury is also about diversity today and it has to be an inclusivity. So, you know, that's one thing that they are very much embracing and understanding that this is their client as well. But as we said, it's it's not about you have to walk in wearing Prada or Cuccinelli or Hermes or anything. Hey, mm-hmm. it probably has noticed if you are, good for you. <laughs> or if somebody's or whatever, knock yourself out. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of transferables as well. I, I noticed in luxury furniture, luxury appliances, other luxury goods, for some reason, when they apply to the jewelry and clothing brands, well, what do they know? They sold appliances. Yeah, they're selling fifty and hundred thousand dollar kitchen sets. You know, that's they're used to selling high ticket goods. So this is transferable. And opening their minds to this, the the odd HR person will take my advice and make a great hire, and the others are just incapable of seeing it. I I think you know not to beat up on HR, but I think that retail especially luxury, sold off responsibility for finding people, vetting people to HR. And HR has gotten very defensive and like, we'll only send, you know, we'll only send Bentleys over in case they yell at us. Um, I think that the floor managers have to own the hiring again. Now, right, they don't have time. They have their own sales quotas to make. But I think sometimes that at least there has to be a partnership. You know, probably only one, just one or two percent of resumes ever actually get seen by the hiring manager. And there's a lot of quality people. I think we have to change the mentality from filtering out candidates for luxury to filtering in, prove why I shouldn't hire Oh, I and love, that would I take, love that. You like that? <laughs> I think that you you just said that beautifully. I'm going to use that as a matter of fact. You you use that. <laughs> well, we could go on and on and on, but I think you have a plane to catch to go to Italy. And then we talk about a book. You have a hairdresser to go see. 
We never change our hairdressers. I should, but we never change our hairdressers, right? That's we're in her book or his book, and that's where we go. So <laughs> this isn't so true. Anyway, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, lifestyle is everything in luxury storytelling. Uh, all of these pieces, the brand value is really, as I said, a, it's built by the the story about the perception from the customer around that. And the story drives the value, not the product these days. The product's really the end result of the story. And from there, you know, we build the relationships with our customers. But it's been wonderful talking to you. We can talk for days. No, (laughs) it's terrible. Okay, thanks again, Lenita. Thank you for listening to the Retail Pulse podcast with your host, Suzanne Sears. If you enjoyed the episode today, please be sure to tell someone about it. Suzanne loves discussion and is open to guest speakers on the podcast with specific topics. If you have an idea for an episode, contact us at brcareers.com. We will be publishing monthly. Keep listening and give us your feedback.